You're listening to The Novel Game here at avonside.studio. Hello and you're very welcome to The Novel Game. My name is Bruce Guthrie and I'm your host and I'm joined by four panellists who will be writing what they imagine to be the first line of a published novel. To inspire them, I'll read out the blurb from the back of the book, and when they're finished, I'll read them out along with the actual first line. Each panellist will then vote for what they think is the first line of the book. They will get a point if they vote for the real first line, but they will also get a point if someone votes for them. So, to our panellists, on my left, singer, songwriter and performer type Stuart Flynn, musician, model and muse Louis McGilvray, on my right, actor and improviser Heather Urquhart, and comedian, actor and writer, Marion Pashley. And sitting next to me is our guest scorekeeper and reader. I give you the actor, Mike Goodenough. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is the available talent. So, to start us off, I'm going to do all of that in reverse. I'm going to give the panel the first line of a novel and they're going to then think of the title, the author, and the year of publication. And the first line is this. The boy's name was Santiago. So I want... Well, you know what I want. I'm not going to repeat myself. Quick as you can. The line again is, The boy's name was Santiago. Number one is The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, 1979. Number two is Zoological by Marcus de Souza, 2013. Number three, Seeing, by Jose Scaramango, 2003. Maybe you had an extra nipple, I don't know. <laughs> 2003. Number four, The Alchemist, Paulo Huelo, 1988. And Death in Venice, by Thomas Mann, 1925. I see nodding and shaking like the audience have clicked onto final rinse and spin. <laughs> or there's an earthquake so um, if you'd like to make some votes I'd be very happy and the first person I'm going to come to is Stuart oh. what are you having? well I don't think it's the spirit level one do you not? no you've thought about it yes uh, that's number one um, and the 2013 one which is really recent isn't it that's Last year. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's very possible. But I think that I'm going to go for the gold one, the al- 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 alchemist. If we were to really know, what we would know is that you were going for number four. Oh, I suppose, yeah. yeah in the, if know, we wanted to be in a nutshell. About. In a nutshell, in a coconut shell. Thank you. Lewis. Well, I noticed the boy's name is Santiago. Oh. And four of the answers, or possible answers, are writers with Latin-sounding names. So I was wondering whether to go with Death and Venice. But I think that might be something being clever. So I'm actually just going to go for The Alchemist as well, because Paolo Coelho's not a very good writer. It's a bit of a boring line. Heather, what are you having? Um, this game is making me doubt my long-term memory, because I've, <laughs> I've read The Alchemist, and I, I remember nothing about it. And yeah, I don't, I don't know who anyone is. Um, I am going to go for Death in Venice by Thomas Mann. Because I'm, I'm, I'm gullible. I'm gullible, whoever the clever person is. They've got me. Marion? Well, um, having read Death in Venice, I don't remember anyone called Santiago in it. Um, however, it was a long time ago, 
and yes, Paolo Coelho or whatever, I, I, I can't finish more than one chapter of that, so it could have been. I'll go for him because it could have been, Will couldn't you? it? Mm. Okay. So it turns out that Stuart, Lewis and Marion all went for the alchemist Paolo Coelho, 1988, which was the right answer. The boy's Ooh. name is Santiago. And Heather, Marion had you. Marion. Yeah. She's not the first. <laughs> Marion. Done it again. She had you. She did. She well and truly did. Mike. And the scores are, Heather remains unfortunately gullible with nil. Nothing. <laughs> Stuart and Lewis have won. Marion streaks ahead with two. <laughs> OK. So we come to a book called Love Hunt. And it was written by Fiona Walker, who I went to university with. And it was published in 2009. And the back of the book says this. Liv has picked up the secret of infidelity. Pixie is in hot pursuit of a wayward lover, while Feely is spurred into a covert affair. Faith longs to run her boss to ground and into bed. And Trudy, in full cry, is on the trail to temptation. Five women, one treasure hunt, and some spectacular prizes. But what is their ultimate reward? A tantalising yet dangerous affair? An intriguing distraction from country life? A successful seduction? Join the love hunt! Heather, oh. you said you wanted chiclet. Well, this, this is my kind of book. Now I'm... Fill your boots. I am, yeah, big time in my comfort zone now. Right. Yeah. Watch me nail this round. She's got a hammer. Watch her go. I think it's a different type of nail in this book, isn't it? Something in Jodpers. I think so. It's not my kind of thing, I have to say. I don't like... No, but Fiona was a love. I'm sure she was lovely, but she shouldn't have picked up a pen, frankly. <laughs> Maybe she didn't. Just... <laughs> Maybe she no, had it she picked did. up for her. And one mm. of our panellists, Joanna Holden, was featured in one of Fiona's books as a dotty actress. Oh, dear. How we laughed. I bet. <laughs> how, yes, how, how, how did you laugh? We laughed. We laughed a bit, and then we stopped laughing. And have you been included in any of her works, Bruce? I was angling for it, actually. I thought if I dangled myself in front of her long enough, she'd write a book about them, but she didn't. But it was probably a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Ready. Ready. Away you go. Number one. Tropical Paradise was Pixie's favourite colour for nail varnish, and her luckiest. Number two. It's a hoarfrost, Trudy breathed in an undertone to nobody in particular, watching her breath cloud and condense in front of her face like a small steamy puff from a dragon. Oh, God, finally the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. It all began the night before Trudy's new settee was due to be delivered. Number four. Feely was by name as much as she was by nature, but the same could not be said of faith. Number five, Jonathan smiled as he watched his regular happy hour party take to their table on the terrace. Jonathan, the tight-trousered barman, I imagine. Yes. Lewis. Well, Hoarfrost and Dragons sounds more like Game of Thrones. Um, I'm torn between happy hour and nail varnish, but I don't think a chiclet author would open her book with a man. So I'm going to go for The Tropical Paradise. Okay, so you're going for number one. Whoever had lucky nails, though? I mean, lucky knickers or lucky perfume, but lucky nails, really? Unless it's a serial killer, I'm not buying it. 
<laughs> Would you then, if it was? If oh it was. gosh, in a minute, in a flash, if someone clawed people to death and they were found uh, in deserted spots. Brilliant. An episode of Dexter. Quite, yes. I have a red nail varnish and the name of it is Not Really a Waitress. Not Really a Waitress. <laughs> <laughs> that is that. genuinely, genuinely the name of a red nail varnish I have. Oh, sold to actresses everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> What are your thoughts, Heather? Um, can I just actually check that you did say hoarfrost? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, just wasn't sure whether my ears were playing tricks on me. Um, I love it, but I'm not going to go for hoarfrost. Number three, the settee being delivered. That's got Stuart Flynn written all over it to me. So far, so good. <laughs> Watch his poker face. Oh, so, so sorry. So far, so good. Oh. I wish I'd paid more attention to the names you mentioned because I like number four, but I can't remember if they were the names of the characters. Right. So for that reason, I'm going for number five, because um, I think that a chick lit book would start with a tight-trousered man. I added those tri- tight trousers. I, just I know, but it's gone deeply into my visual imagination now, and I can't get it out. So. Exactly, and it, it would be taken as read that it would be a tight-trousered barman, obviously. That's what's the point of him being there. There is no going deeply into your, you know, your visual imagination, though, is there? Bearing in mind, you have no long-term memory. As you exactly. Earlier. Yeah, exactly. But you are, darling, you are too young to have a long-term memory. That's very kind of you to say. The settee was an appalling thing, but I quite liked it. I'd quite like it to be the tight trousered barman, but I think that would be <laughs> Actually, mentioned. Um, <laughs> Quick as you can. Honestly, the car's parked on a meter. Really. I honestly think, do you know what, having spurned it, I'll go for the nail varnish. Will you? Yes, I will. Thank you. I think I was swayed by the not really a waitress remark, and I thought that she's probably read that and thought, brilliant, I'll write a book. (laughs) Stuart, I crick my neck, I turn to you. I I just love Lewis's advice that, you know, if there is a nail varnish called I'm not really a waitress, um, that you would bet on it in the Grand National. Yes. I think that's fabulous. (laughs) What a comment to make. <laughs> Marvellous. Um, I'm going to cut to the chase, see what I did, um, and go for number four. No, I'm not. I'm going to go for number three. I'm going to go for the sofa. So, yes, work that out. Am I voting for myself? You can't. Well, we'll find out whether I have Point or not. Point of fact, you can't. So here we go. The actual first line is, it's a hoarfrost, and no one went for that. Oh. Oh. Okay, Heather, you went for Marion. Jonathan smiled as he watched his regular happy hour party take them to the table on the terrace. I thought I'd hook someone in. Stuart, you went for Lewis. It all began the night before Trudy's new settee was due to be delivered. And Lewis and Marion, you went for Heather with Pixie and her lucky nail varnish. So tabulate that, Mike. There's a three-way now (laughs) for second position, one could say. With Stuart, Lewis and Heather on two, Marion has three. So, we move now to a book that came out in 2002, written by a man called John McGregor. I've read it, it's a difficult read. If nobody speaks of remarkable things. On a street in a town in the north of England, perfectly ordinary people are doing totally normal things. Children play cricket. Window frames are painted, a couple argue, students pack up their belongings, and nameless people pass each other like every other day, interweaving yet never connecting. But a terrible event shatters the quiet of a summer evening, and no one who witnesses it will ever be the same again. If nobody speaks of remarkable things, 
John McGregor. Was it a difficult read because it was all written in northern idioms? Is that why it was a difficult read? It was a difficult read because everything in my life was difficult then and I read it because I had a a boyfriend who'd been very difficult and I thought if I read the book that he'd read that it would make things better and it didn't. Nothing to do with the book, but that's more to do with me. I've said too much. So is this cathartic for you, Bruce, tonight? Yes. We'll slag it off for you then, okay. Number one. She heard the tram before she saw it. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) Marion. Number two. He took a sharp breath in. And for a moment, he wondered if he would ever breathe out again. As he slipped under the bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the interlocking lawns were full of the sounds of people living, and lawnmowers buzzed in competition with bees. Number four, you'd best speak to the man of the house, and that'll be Calvin Geary, 14-year-old Calvin Geary. And number five is, if you listen, you can hear it. So, Heather... What are your thoughts? Um, my, my thoughts are that it can't be number three because that sounds like the south rather than the north. Uh, there's too many manicured lawns for it to be the north. Hmm. I'm going to go for the 14-year-old man of the house because I'm going with the random rule. OK, thank you. Marion. I'm, I'm from the north and there was a headline. That's what I liked about the tram one. There was a headline for a while in the whole Daily Mail which was death by milk cart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, sorry, Death by Milk Float. I'm ageing myself there, Death by Milk Cart. That would be from the 1800s. Uh, I look much younger, don't I? But yes, so I quite like the tram. I'm actually going to go for the tram one for that very reason. I think it could be that brutal and abrupt. I crashed a milk float once. You crashed (gasps) one? And killed someone in Hull. Oh, my God, it was you. No, it wasn't me, no. Um, A friend of mine bought a milk float and was driving it around the UK for charity. Which you'd have to do, wouldn't you? Um, But I joy-rode it one evening um, and almost crushed it. And here you are now, Stuart. And I think the tram is so flagrantly northern, it's a little bit too in your face, as it probably was if it is really the case. (laughs) Um, Would have been in her face. Um, I like, number four, social services. I like that because that's northern but subtly northern. But I also like Marion's one, which is possibly the last one because that's another short one. So I'm going to go for number five. Thank you. Lewis, what are your (laughs) thoughts? Um, I thought listen and you'll hear it actually sounds like a real first line. But number four mentions a character's name which isn't in the blurb. Mm. And that might be a trick, but I'm going to go. Well, you haven't got long to find out. This is the bit I actually like best. Oh, the real answer, if nobody speaks of remarkable things, is, if you listen, you can hear it, Stuart. You got that. So Stuart gets the point. Mm -hmm. Ah, Marion, you went for She Heard the Tram Before She Saw It, which was written by Lewis. Lewis gets a point. Heather and Lewis both went for Stuart. You'd best speak to the man of the house, and that'll be Calvin Geary, 14-year-old Calvin Geary. Stuart, you were very tricky. You talked about it, didn't you? You, you, you played up your own piece. But it had already been voted for. <laughs> Not by me. Not by you, but by the others that okay. matter. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. There's been a change of the lead... That'd be me then. <laughs> Heather has two. Lewis and Marion have three. Stuart has five. Whoa. Okay. So this is Angela Carter, uh, 1972, and the book is called 
The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr. Hoffman. And the back of the book says this. The story of a war fought against the diabolic Dr. Hoffman, who wanted to demolish the structures of reason and liberate man from the chains of the reality principle forever. Dr. Hoffman chose the human mind and the human heart for his battleground, and it was left to Desiderio to stop him. Desiderio. That's a name, isn't it? I had to practice that. If I had a cat, I'd call it Desiderio. Desiderio over there, Exactly. Isn't it? And then when you were calling it last thing at night and were tired, you'd be calling Des. Yeah, and then Des O'Connor would roll up. <laughs> exactly. Des. How awkward. I got the giggles the other day in the shower because the other showers were slightly broken and they were making funny noises and one of them was making a noise like a duck. Quack. Like that, occasionally, intermittently, which made me giggle slightly. And another one was sounding like a very wheezy old man sighing despairingly into a kazoo. <laughs> I couldn't contain myself, frankly. <laughs> Nor can we. Thank you, Stuart. You brought you a little radio play of your life. Mike. Number one, I remember everything. Number two, hum, 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 hum. Went the chainsaw. <laughs> he shot his bolt with that one. <laughs> Number three. If three and three ain't making six, then what in heaven will prop up this infernal world? Number four, the heat of the morning was kinetic. Number five, roses are red, violets are blue, and your eyes are blue, and there are parts of you as red as roses, and just as inclined to bloom. Just, just for people at home, there are actually people groaning and sort of writhing in the audience at that last line. That's Stuart in the shower, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't <laughs> drop any soap. <laughs> Marion, I was looking at your eyes. They're brown. And I was looking at your ears. They're very red. Tell me your thoughts. OK. Um, well, I love the chainsaw. And I actually think Angela Carter could. She would. She would. She doesn't she care. Would. Well, she's um, dead now, but she would. Kinetic was lovely, that, but that sounds like another American writer to me. I'm going to go for the hum, hum, hum of the chainsaw. I just love it. Okay, let's hear your impression of a chainsaw. <laughs> lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, or a dog. <laughs> we'll let you know. Stuart. Oh, not to me straight away. Oh, yes. Well, I don't like the algebra. Um, that doesn't ring true with me. And I remember everything. I think that's just Heather trying to tell everyone that she's got a bit of a long-term memory. Um, um, I adore the, the, the blossoming. And it's between that, frankly, and the... Be it's frank. Not the, it's not the algebra because of the word infernal, and that's in the blurb. You wouldn't have the same word in the blurb as you would in the it first time. We just don't do things like that. It's either that or the chainsaw, so I'm going to go for the chainsaw or the bloom. I don't know. What shall I do? I think you've said that in your life. It's either that or the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> or the bloom. It's the chainsaw or the bloom. And I think the bloom has to go. It's going to be the chainsaw. All right. OK, you can have the chainsaw. Lewis. Well, Stuart clearly wrote, roses are red and your eyes are blue and they're blooming. So you're trying to trick me by bigging up your own one. Uh, Prove it. <laughs> Don't worry, I will later. Um, Marion, she's actually British, she wasn't American. I have read her stuff though, and I just forgot. And there's a close named after Angela in Brixton. Excellent. Is that like Good a cul de sac? 
It's Angela Carter Close. Which I think, if you could translate cul-de-sac in French, though, it is actually literally arse of the bag. Hum, algebra and roses don't sound right. So it's been between kinetic and I remember everything. And I'm just going to go for the rule of keeping it simple. So I'm going to go for I remember everything. OK, good. Heather. Um, Finish yourself. I really wanted to be the chainsaw. <laughs> I wanted to be the chainsaw, but I don't think it is. I'm going to go for the algebra. Three plus three equals six. So, the actual first line of The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr Hoffman is I Remember Everything. And Lewis had that. Then we find that Marion and Stuart went for <laughs> went the chainsaw, which was written by Heather. <laughs> and Heather... You were taken in by Marion because you went for the algebra. That was Maths. <laughs> it's just counting. It's just counting. You, you've got me every so, single I know. time. Thinking of counting. I'm awful. Mike, how is your counting? Correct, I hope. It's very, very, very close. Lewis, Heather and Marion have four. Stuart still has five. This purses. Curses or purses? Curses, okay. This is the biography round. This is E.R. Braithwaite, 1959, to Sir with Love. Oh. Everybody. <laughs> no, because I think we've all got a little bit of Lulu going on in our heads now, haven't we? Yeah. No, Sydney. Yes, bit of Sydney. Sydney, Sydney yes. Poitier. Thank you to our audience. When a woman refuses to sit next to him on the bus, Rick Braithwaite is bewildered and angered by her prejudice. In post-war cosmopolitan London, he'd hoped for a more enlightened attitude. When he begins his first teaching job in a tough East End school, the reaction there is the same. Slowly and painfully, some of the barriers are broken down. He shames his pupils, he wrestles with them, enlightens them, and eventually comes to love them. To Sir With Love is the true story of a dedicated teacher who turns hate into love, teenage rebelliousness into self-respect, contempt into consideration for others, the story of a man's integrity winning through against all the odds. Well, I didn't know it was a true story. I just thought it was a, no, it was a novel. It what, the okay. autobiography round you didn't know it was a true story? <laughs> <laughs> whoever it was, he took me from crayons to perfume. Did he? It wasn't far, though, was it? That was in the next style, wasn't it? No, it's a lovely, lovely song, To Sir With Love. To Sir With Love. So, Mike, read them out for us, please. Number one. The din of the East End Street was briefly dominated by the morning bell. Number two. We are all prejudiced. Number three. The crowded red double-decker bus inched its way through the snarl of traffic in Aldgate. Number four. The streets of Whitechapel sang to me as I stepped out into the first wintry morning of my new life. Number five. It's your time you're wasting. Pipe down, class. And you lot at the back. Lulu and the lovers. See me after class. I won't have you shouting in my class, bellowed Mr Braithwaite, his Adam's apple bouncing like a toad in a tracksuit pocket. <laughs> oh, Oh, somebody get some help. Somebody get some help. <laughs> Anyone with a deep fibrillation? Well, you know you make me want to <laughs> shout. Thank you. Bath. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually used to use that as my sound check, and I might well do in future too. Um, it's very, very good as a sound check for singing. Which is? 
to go, well, the other day, a funny thing happened to me. And then you've got both levels. That was amazing. <laughs> you've just flexed something, haven't you? You've flexed a muscle. <laughs> it's my Vox sip. Um, <laughs> so I think that, you see, I just, as soon as I heard Morning Bell, I thought of you, because you are, Marion, a bell. Aww. In the morning of your life. In the, in the, in the, yes, in, add that, yeah. A bell? With that and all. Oh, yeah. you mean bell with an E on the end? Yeah, not a ding-dong bell. <laughs> yeah. No, like Brighton Bell. Okay, fine. I thought you meant something metal Do and you annoying. remember Brighton Bell, Heather? No, you don't. You haven't got long-term memory. Um, but, um, yeah, like a bell. And what does that mean in terms of which one you're voting for? That's what I'm going for. Thank you. Yeah. Lewis. Mm, well, three... No, this is not said like that, is it? It's, well, <laughs> go on. You know you want to. Oh. <laughs> can't say it like you. Three of the answers make mention of the East End or East End locations, which makes me think that there might be something there. We're all prejudiced, I don't think. No, just a bit of a clangor. Um, I loved the last one. I wish I could say it was that, but actually you wouldn't refer to yourself in the third person if you were writing a biography. So said, said Reginald Braithwaite. So that's struck that off. I am going to go for Din in the West End. And you have Heather. Snarl. The, the bus and the snarl. N no. Don't, don't know why. Just don't think it's right. Um, number one. The bell. The bell? I'm going with the bell. But, but that might mean that Marion will have a full house with me. Because <laughs> I think it's either the real one or it's Marion. But um, either, either one of those things will make me happy. So um, that's fine. Good. I'm glad you can survive your milk float murder spree. Um, Marion. I, um, I loved the final one with the toad in the pocket, but that was far too... Um, licentious to be real and the thing about the streets singing to me no absolutely not that was too light I think maybe I think maybe the prejudice we're all prejudiced actually okay. so well, she's not gone for the bell you. thing so it probably is that one that she and knows, the real first line is the crowded red double-decker bus inched its way through the snarl ah. of traffic in Aldgate which leaves us with Ding -dong. Heather, Stewart and Lewis all went for Marion. The din of the East End Street was briefly dominated by the morning bell. And could we, could we get a taxi for Lulu? Because she's getting awfully tired waiting by the doors. <laughs> and Marion, you went for Heather, your table mate. Oh, and that's nice little balance, isn't it? Yeah. All prejudiced. Mike, sort that out for us. Again, there's been a change. We probably know who's winning, but uh, Lewis has four. Heather and Stuart have five. And Marion has shot ahead with seven. It's a rhetorical question, but is there everything to play for? Yes, indeed. It is still possible for anyone to win. Okay, in which case we come to the last round, which is writing the last line of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, published in 1886 by Robert Louis Stevenson. Back of the book says this. It is when Mr. Ummerson, a dry London lawyer, peruses the last will of his old friend Henry Jekyll that his suspicions are aroused. 
What is the relationship between upright, respectable Dr Jekyll and the evil Edward Hyde? Who murdered the distinguished MP Sir Danvers? So begins Stevenson's spine-tingling horror story, the story of Dr Jekyll's infernal alter ego and of a hunt through the nocturnal streets of London that culminates in some dreadful revelations. <laughs> Pretty I'm quick, Marion. I was writing as you were reading. Me too, so was I. I took did. my time. Mm. Gosh. Mm. Can audience. I ask of the panel and the audience, has anyone actually read this book? No, it's not a popular one, I've is it? I've seen it done live. I know, but it's not yeah. the same as reading the book. Are you ready? Uh, number one, she turned the corner and was lost. Number two, the savage beast was once more abated, but for how long it might endure the insipid mist of vapours... No one could ever know. Number three. Here then, as I lay down the pen and proceed to seal up my confession, I bring the life of that unhappy Henry Jekyll to an end. Number four. Yes, Mr. Tamblin, there are two sides to every story. And number five. Umerson went to bed, finally satisfied. Mm. And Mike, I may say that... You were at your most resonant. The table was vibrating as you talked with your deep Victorian vowels. I'm glad it was my voice and nothing else. Lewis, I turn to you. It's quite a varied bunch. No, I ask, I'm asking you what you'd like to choose. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the audience alone, Lewis. I, th- <laughs> um, I think the one about sealing my confession has a kind of laboured punctuation you would expect from a Victorian novel. So I'm going to go for that one. Laboured punctuation? I can just imagine, I can hear lots of uh, commas. I can see a wing collar. Heather? Um, Sorry, I I say that in such a terrible way. Heather, what would you like? She turned a corner and was lost. (gasps) Controversial. Are you sure? Are you sure? I know. Ho there, cabbie. Do you know Limehouse? Marion, what's your answer? Well, I um, I like the one with the sealed doodah because I do think that is the kind of, the detail in that was quite precise. Mm-hmm. And for the fact that nobody's ever read the book, has only ever seen the play, um, I think it's that one. Do you? I do. Okay, thank you. Stuart. Yeah, I'm with her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, ringmaster. Yes. Can I change my <laughs> There's more than one here tonight, love. Can I change my answer? No. no. Yes, of course you can. Thank you. Oh, Mike says yes. Thank you, Mike. I, like, I want to go for number five. Uh, which is which number is? five? Satisfied, Umerson went to bed. Okay. Oh, finally satisfied. Are you finally satisfied now, then? I am now. Oh, good. Good. Happy enough. So, Lewis, Marion and Stuart all went for the right answer. Here then, as I lay down the pen and proceed to seal up my confession, I bring the life of that unhappy Henry Jekyll to an end. However, Heather went for Lewis. She turned the corner and was lost. But then changed her mind to me! No way! (laughs) Marion, you have got me... Well and truly. That's because I roofied you earlier. <laughs> oh, she went to bed finally satisfied. And so did Marion, by the looks of what I'm imagining that Marion is going to go to bed satisfied. Finally mm. satisfied. Because that change of heart has made all the difference to the final scores. Stuart and Heather have five. Lewis has raced forward to have seven points. 
but has been beaten by Marion with eight. So Marion, you will go to bed tonight satisfied, won't you? Because you, and only you, have won this edition of the Novel Game. Well done, you. Thank you. And my thanks go to Stuart Flynn, to Lewis McGilvery, to Heather Urquhart, to Marion Pashley, our winner, and our guest scorer and reader, Mike Goodenough. And I'm looking at our attentive and what's the word I'm looking for? Delicious. Our delicious, delightful, gorgeous there. London audience. They're there and they stayed for the duration. Everyone deserves a big round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> my name is Bruce Guthrie and my suggestion is that you make it your business to listen next time we play the novel game. <laughs> To hear more episodes of The Novel Game, like and subscribe, people. Like and subscribe at avonside.studio. So, just a reminder that Saturday's extra chapter of The Novel Game can only be heard on Mixcloud. Why? What are you talking about? Because you can't have music on podcasts. Why not? Uh, for rights reasons. What about my inalienable right to listen to what I want, when I want, without paying for it? Because if it's on Mixcloud, then the artist gets a royalty. Well, that's jolly inconvenient. That's as maybe, and frankly, Marion, your fine words butter no parsnips. So, if you want to listen, you'll have to go to Mixcloud.com and search for Avonside Studio. It's not like you've got much else on. Oh, what was that again? Let me get a piece of paper and a pencil. So, on the internet, go to www.mixcloud, all little letters, all one word, dot com, and search for Avonside Studio. Make it worth my while. What is this extra content you talk of? Well, I'm glad you asked, Marion. It's a DJ set from musician, model and muse, Lewis McGilvray. Lewis? Who's he? You know perfectly well who he is, and without him, none of this would have happened. Listen, people want extra sizzle with their sausage, and he's got some beautiful pieces. I bet he has. Well, if you say so... I do. So, this week's extra chapter of the novel game drops on Saturday lunchtime and is available only on Mixcloud.com. Just search for Avonside Studio. And while you're here, why don't you listen to this? So you're listening to The Novel Game here at Avonside Studio, and I'm very fortunate to have one of the guiding rudders, old lag, Marion Pashley. Hello, Marion. What a charming introduction. <laughs> well, you've steered this project. Mm, so it seems. No, you have. You've, um, I don't really know much about showbiz. Um, I'm a therapist by training, so uh, I had quite a lot to learn about how show business works, and it's not really show friendship. Uh, well, I, I know where all the bodies are buried. Uh, <laughs> being, in this, being in this business, woman and child, um, and yeah, uh, it's been interesting and fun, particularly sitting in your little living room in Brixton uh, with a glass of wine being 
nonsense speakers. It, it was a huge fun. <laughs> what What's your memory? What can you remember about the first ones that we did? Um. Oh, which what you mean? The ones that we did in Brixton well, in there was your Brixton, room, yeah, shuffling and and, yeah, and, yes, there were, there and giggling. Those. But what about when? Can you remember when we first took it to the Seven Dials Club in Covent Garden? Absolutely, um, I do. Um, a lot of my friends came along to be partic- not participants, audience, um, and sort of participants, weren't they? Yeah. A little bit. Um, it was a lot of fun, and people seemed to really enjoy it. Actually, yeah, I can remember. I thought actually putting some freesias on the desk would help. I don't know if it did, but I just had this sense of, oh, well, I bet, I bet there better be flowers on the table. <laughs> As if you were hosting a dinner party rather than putting on a show. Yes, I think um, it was a little bit where you could sort of see the cardboard walls wobble, um, like early sitcoms. But I think people quite liked that, the fact that it felt a bit kind of thrown together and not like hearing a recording down at BBC Radio Studios. People sense that we'd sort of all mucked in and shoved it together mm. and kind of, I think, quite got into the fact that sometimes we got irrationally competitive in order to win the novel game. Oh, absolutely. And also, I think I did two at home and then I rented that space and the first two were really well attended, but... Um, it was a terrible acoustic. It was like being in an echo chamber or an aircraft hangar. Mm, and yes. it was if it was as if um, people were just shouting at each other. <laughs> and so it didn't have that sort of warm, close feeling that I wanted. I don't think the word ambience entered the room, did it? <laughs> Not really, no. No. Um, and then what did you learn about how to play it? Had you played it before? Uh, the novel game? Mm. N- well, just just at home with you in rehearsals. Right. Um, I've done sort of panel shows before recorded, um, obviously in a much more professional I'm setting. Sure they are. Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew that, that you have, you can't forget that you're trying to entertain people. Um, uh, <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun. Um, and I think I like the idea because I, I am a big reader. Um, I quite like showing off. <laughs> mm. And I think I think one of the things... If I can throw in a big word, I will. Yes, you will. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, a bit of discombobulation comes easy to me. Didn't you study English? Yes, I did. Ah, uh, okay. I did study English. And what is it about words and writing that appeals to you? Um, I I like how very specific you can be i think the bigger your vocabulary the more almost surgically precise you can be with your meaning Mm. to others and from that i think stems an awful lot of humor um i'm a huge fan of literary humor and i think it's it, it is the precise word in a sentence can make something hilarious whereas a kind of a a version of that that isn't quite so precise. You've lost. You've lost the rapier wit. Mm. There's a reason why it's called rapier wit, isn't there? Which is the precision, the precision oh, slicing of a surgeon. Right. I'm carrying on the metaphor. Oh, sorry, sorry, Do duh. keep up. <laughs> so, if you think about the different characters in the novel game, who are we? So, who's Robin? Who's Fenella? 
Who's Stuart and who are you in this? Oh, gosh. Characters as in just describe the personas. I suppose so. I think if it were the famous five, then I think Robin is Uncle Quentin. Because? Because he is very knowledgeable um, and and sort of keeps things in charge, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's very experienced in, in the game of um, audio play. Um I would say that Fenella is Anne, um, surprisingly erudite and witty, but sort of hides her light under a bushel a little bit, well, slightly. She's, yeah, she's a helpful girl guide, I Yes, I yes, so she's an Anne, yes, a helpful girl guide, you're right, I, I was getting all faffed with that. Stuart, I would say, <laughs> is the villain hiding behind the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> um... I'm Timmy the dog, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Why do you say that? Snapping and biting like a little terrier. <laughs> and I dare... I'm Opportunistic. I'm, I'm scared to ask, and who am I in all of this? Oh, gosh, you're George. Right. <laughs> George, yes. A proto-lesbian. Standing stockily in your, in your useful unisex shorts... Um, Soon to discover who you really are. Oh, I love a pair of shorts, me. Mm, you do like I have got the second... Made of drill. <laughs> and I've got the second best legs in the business. Second best legs. Who's... I dread to ask, who's the first best legs? We know. Are they mine? <laughs> they are, aren't they? I've got very good legs, actually. Do you know, that broke a dream. Last night, I dreamt that Jeremy Corbyn was coming on to me because he thought I had fantastic legs and a pair of stilettos. Oh, my goodness. Dreams mm. of a socialist. Indeedy. That's a champagne socialist, <laughs> if you like, isn't it? Drinking it out of my high-heeled stiletto. I'll just let that image... Just let that image settle. I will. Yep. Gosh, you used to be neighbours, didn't you? Yes. Um, we. I did used to live quite near Jeremy Corbyn, mm. but I don't want this to start up rumours or anything. <laughs> my great-grandmother was a gaiety girl, and people did purportedly drink champagne out of the Gaiety Girl slippers. Oh, do you know, I'd, I'd have to like someone an awful lot to um, want to drink. It's a waste of good champagne and you'd mm. really ruin a slipper that way. <laughs> or it's or it could ruin a champagne and waste a slipper, <laughs> whichever way around. And Marion, what's your hope for this first series of the novel game? I just hope people listen to it and enjoy it. I know that the are people who enjoy a good book. And I know there's people who enjoy nattering about their books and what they've read, much as people will recommend some god-awful box set to you that you've got to watch 40 episodes of to find out there's a very disappointing ending. (laughs) I think there's a real place for people to wang on about books. Mm, There is. And... With that in mind, uh, my closing question is, what book is by your bedside right now? I'm not in bed. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm dressed and sitting at the dining I table know. like you asked. Like I asked, but what book is next to your bedside? What are you reading? Do you know what I'm reading at the moment, because we are in times of austerity, is the Covent Garden Vegetable Cookbook uh, by Marie Stone. I think it might be out of print, but I am reading through it and it's fantastic because we are in 
times of austerity, if you like, or certainly kind of what I what I like to say we're in at the moment is make do and mend. Um, and it's a fantastic, I don't know if it's in print anymore, um, it's a book and it's got old uh, letters from centuries ago that people wrote about Covent Garden Market and about different foods. And it makes you realise how close to the European main, the main body of Europe we've always been because so there's bits of French thrown in there. It's it's really interesting. I saw a very handy thing is um, to keep your Parmesan rinds for uh, flavouring soup. Mm, that's as maybe, but it's not vegetarian, so that wouldn't enter oh, okay. into my um, so There's no scrag end for you then, is there? Oh, no, thank you. And I don't, I don't approve of cheese in a soup, actually. Really? Makes it claggy. <laughs> there's no, no claggy soups with you, is there? No. Always fresh and bright with me. I intend to give you the very last word. Sorry? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I intend to give you the very last word. What are your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts is all you can do is put it out there and hope people enjoy it. Lovely. All right. Thanks, Marion. Cheers. Cheerio. Bye.